You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everyone. I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a relationship that you just couldn't get out of? You knew it was toxic. You probably didn't realize you needed to break up with them until it was really late. Or worst off, you probably were hanging on to them because maybe the sex was good, or maybe they just kept you company, or maybe it was something that made you feel good for a very short period of time, but after a while, you hit rock bottom and you just had to let go somehow, but you just couldn't let go, you couldn't shake them. Well, my friends, that's diet culture and diet mentality. The boyfriend or girlfriend that just won't let go. The ones that keep giving us false hopes and false dreams. In today's episode of the One Small Bite Podcast, we're going to talk to you about what is a positive relationship to food? What are things that damage that relationship? And then we're going to get to the five ways to build that positive relationship with food, to secure that relationship with food. And at the end, you get to choose one small thing of these five that you can get started on. One way that you can get started on building that positive relationship with food. So let's get to that first part. Do we have a relationship with food? If so, what does that mean? It's cultural. It's personal. It's calming after you are hangry. It's comfortable. It creates a comfort feeling. It's pleasurable. And so it makes you feel. You know, oftentimes people tell me, oh, I'm an emotional eater. And I think to myself, who the heck isn't? Food is supposed to make you feel something. It's supposed to give you pleasure. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, I love food or I'm a foodie. And I'm saying, who isn't? (laughs) I think that food should be something that we enjoy, even if we obsessively enjoy it from time to time. That's very natural. That's a good thing. Because there are few things that we do in life, like eating. Every single day, we have to put something in our bodies. And so it does make us feel. And the feelings that we have, yes, they are physiological but they are also emotional. I described that earlier in a previous episode about how food is experiential. Every time you eat, it's going to bring you to an experience that you may not otherwise realize you've had in the past. Your relationship to food is shaped also by your personal history, your heritage, your cultural foods. These all make up your relationship to food as well. So that experience of eating a certain food might be that you shared that food with some family member or some family, 
and multiple times, maybe when you were growing up, maybe in a different country, maybe in a different setting, or maybe just on a regular basis at home. And so that food is tied into that experience. And every time we eat it, we're trying to replicate that experience somehow. This is part of the reason why some foods don't taste that great, because they're not in the same environment, or, or the food is not made in the same way, or you're, you're not in that setting, so to speak. And so this is how we end up craving food also. There's also an emotional component to that food that we're craving, and so we want to have more of it. And so therefore, your relationship to food could be a way of filling yourself, not just with the food, but with the emotional connection that food has. And it happens very subconsciously. It happens extremely quickly. We are not even aware of it most of the time. Okay, now that we know that we do have a relationship with food, where it comes from, and why it's important, let's ask another question. Let's think about what gets in the way. However, before I go forward, I want to point out my unearned and earned privileges. I want to recognize that I am in a thin body, that I am neuronormative, that I am an able-bodied individual, that I have financial stability, that I grew up speaking two languages, and that I am in a position of authority as a registered dietitian nutritionist. So the things that I'm about to say does not go without me recognizing that many people don't have these unearned and earned privileges. And I think it's very important to point that out. Okay, moving forward here. What are the things that can damage your relationship with food? Well, food insecurity is one of them. Not having financial access to what you want, not having availability nearby to get the foods that you want or need. Maybe the environment you grew up with also led into challenges with your relationship with food. For example, you might have grown up in an area that had a lot of gang violence. And so food may have been manipulated one way or another or hard to get to, or you had to choose between getting drugs or guns or uh, staying safe or protecting your family instead of getting food. Or maybe there was an environment where you lived in a rural area where there were few, if any, supermarkets. The only place that you can get food might be at a convenience store, and they only stocked shell-safe products. No fresh fruits, no assortments of variety of proteins, no variety of different foods that you can choose from. Maybe there was also an environment that you grew up in that was war-torn. Think about the people in Ukraine or maybe in the Middle East during Syria, the time the war in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Africa. Think about people in South America like Venezuela or in Cuba or in other areas around the world. Heck, just here in the United States, there are pockets in the Southwest, in the Northeast, in the Midwest that don't have enough food. There are people that live in very rural areas. So there's the environment. Parents could have created 
a very challenging relationship to food. Maybe your parents believed that certain foods were not healthy for you. Maybe they placed moral judgment or moral character on food. And so foods were bad or good, should or shouldn't. Maybe you were punished if you didn't do your homework and the punishment was you weren't able to have dinner. Or maybe it's a less punishment. If you didn't finish your dinner, you wouldn't have dessert. So parents, well-meaning, well-intended, might have not known that they were creating that negative relationship with food in your life. There could also been have been peer groups or online influencers that may have created a negative relationship with food, how they say things about food or how they project on how you're supposed to eat or what you're supposed to have, when you're supposed to have it, which by the way, it's still very, very alive and well today. The entertainment or media industry. For example, think of a movie where they're having something to eat. How many times does the woman get a salad? Or how many times does the man eat a certain way? Like gangster movies where they're eating, you know, at an Italian restaurant, they're having steak and potatoes, and how that informs the way a man is supposed to eat. Or maybe there uh, is a movie or a show about women getting together and they're talking about their shape and their figure and how a woman is supposed to eat. Or maybe it's media, magazines, newspapers. Well, heck, who reads magazines and newspapers? That's not true. My wife still reads magazines all the time. But there is a lot of influences of how people are supposed to eat by the pictures that are there. You know that saying, a picture's worth a thousand words. Same thing with social media. Social media is that extension of magazines. And then we're seeing, of course, Reels, TikTok, and other influencers. And by the way, an influencer is not an expert in food and nutrition. They probably just have 100,000 followers, so they've got a pretty wide microphone, and their message just gets played over and over again. There's also fat phobia. The fear of gaining weight or being fat, being in a large body, that can skew your relationship to food. I'm not supposed to eat this because it's going to make me fat. Or if I eat that at this time, I'm going to gain weight. I shouldn't eat snacks at night because I'm going to be fat. The fear of being fat is another way that it disrupts your relationship to food. And then, of course, there are diets. Diets after diet after diet after diet. And by the way, diets have approximately a five-year cycle. All right, I'm saying the word diet, but quite honestly, people call it lifestyle. People call it wellness, clean eating, healthy eating, avoiding junk foods, avoiding highly processed foods, making sure to eat the right things. I'm not eating bad. And, you know, unfortunately... Diet industry has essentially co-opted other weight-inclusive words that make it sound like it's not a diet. But when you talk about foods that you should or should not have, yellow, green, red foods, or macros, or I don't count calories, I make sure I eat clean, or I only detox on certain days. Or maybe it's a fasting style, like I eat only... Uh, 600 calories a day for two days. Or maybe I only eat between this eight-hour window between 12 and eight or between 12 and seven. 
or I only have foods that I enjoy on the weekends. So diets. Exercise programs. Exercise programs also manipulate or challenge your relationship to food. For example, oh, I worked out really hard. I can eat whatever I want now. Or, man, I ate so much. I got to work this off tomorrow. So you can see how, therefore, the relationship to food is starting to be manipulated by these external forces. And therefore, the relationship is not one of listening to yourself, listening to your body, having the autonomy to choose what you want, when you want it, as much as you want, in line with what your body is also needing. I often tell people this all the time. Eating is both foods that you want and foods that you need. If you're not getting both, then you're not going to be satisfied at some point. You might get full, but it may not mean that you will be satisfied. And then there's the opposite, which is hunger. If you don't give yourself what you need or what you want, you will hunger for those things later on. And the more you hunger for them, the greater the response of having them will be later on. Now, there are other variables that do affect your relationship to food, but these are the big ones. And I kind of guess most of you understand it a little bit better now. So it does beg the question, what is a secure relationship to food actually look like? Well, let me give you these five main points. One, eating practically when hungry. What does that mean? Eating practically when you're hungry means that sometimes you're going to eat foods because you need it, maybe not necessarily because you want it. Or maybe you have to eat certain foods because you have to take certain medications. For example, if you have diabetes and you're on insulin, it is very important for you to eat before you have the insulin. But you do need the insulin to control your blood sugar. Another example would be if you have digestive disorders or digestive issues. And so maybe needing to eat a certain way to help manage your digestive issues. Maybe you have an allergy. And so you do need to be careful what you choose to have. So number two, enjoying food and being satisfied with the food that you ate. Now, don't get me wrong. Before we go move on too far, this isn't the satisfaction diet. Oh, if I eat to my satisfaction, then everything's great. Let me just say something that's really, really important. You're reaching a point of satisfaction on a regular basis, but satisfaction is phasic. It's not static. It isn't you're always feeling satisfied. You're going to move in and out of it. So satisfaction is a flow. You're wanting to achieve it more often. But more importantly, what's not happening is that you're not relying on food as a coping mechanism for mental health. And so that's important. So let me give you an example. I'm having a horrible day, and you know what? If I just eat this ice cream, I'm going to feel a whole lot better, and then it becomes very habitual. Or another example is you put everything else before you. You don't prioritize yourself. You work really hard. You skip meals during the day. And so by the time you get home, you're ravishing. But you may not want to eat, and so you start snacking. And then you feel guilty that you're snacking. But you know what? All of this 
is a natural physiological response. Your body is protecting you. It's making you eat more because it doesn't know when the heck you're going to get some more later on. Hey, that's a beautiful way that the body protects you. So number three, eating a variety of foods, which means diversifying the food choices that you have, trying new foods, mixing things up a little bit. A lot of times people get hung up on the way food tastes or the way food feels. And so they're not willing to try something. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say eat some food that absolutely scares you. But out of two sides of my mouth here, I am saying that. Sometimes it's hard to try new foods. Jumping out of that comfort zone. I have a client who says to me, you know, you've really made me jump out of my comfort zone and try new foods. I would have never tried, for example, yogurt. So I think it's an experiment. I'll give you one little example of this. I remember okra was something that I would never eat. I was like, no, I'm never going to eat. I hate okra. Uh, I didn't grow up eating okra. So when I moved to the South and I tried it in gumbo, it was probably the worst way to start trying okra for the first time. It was interesting because it wasn't until my daughter, so it was probably, what, 15, 20 years later, it wasn't until my daughter was born, few, I think she was two years old, she tried um, okra, just fresh, put it in her mouth. I was like, wow. So then I tried it. I'm like, hey, you know, this whole slimy thing is really not that bad. It's no big deal. So experimentation. It's cool. It's not easy. I will tell you, it is scary, but no one dies from food that's not bad for you or has you know poison or uh, bacteria on it. No one really dies for trying something. It may not feel good, may not, but you do, ex- you learn. Well, I'll give you an example, coffee. When you first try coffee, most of us go, ooh, wow, this is really, really, really bitter. Or, oh, and then we have to use cream and sugar. Some people have a high bitter tolerance, so they, they, can, they can deal with it. Um, okra is another one. Tofu is another one. For example, tofu, people always tell me, oh, that's the texture thing. Well, tofu is actually the same texture as scrambled eggs. In fact, depending on the type of tofu, you can have eggs that are a little runny, or you can have eggs that are really firm, like a hard boiled egg. And that's the same thing with tofu. It goes from silk to extra firm. All right, moving on to number four, eating with others sharing food, and accepting food from people or even businesses. This is really, really important because this helps you secure that experience again. Sharing foods with others is really, really beneficial because you're filling yourself not just with the food, but with the experience of being with that person. In my house, I am very fortunate. I know that I live a very privileged life, but I have the opportunity and the privilege to have dinner with my family almost every night of the week. Now, I enjoy doing most of the cooking. So Monday through Thursday, I do most of the cooking. My wife usually will take over on the weekends. But every once in a while, we switch it up sometimes too. But we always get the opportunity to sit down together as a family. Well, okay, not always, but most of the time. That's really, really important. That is a great way of securing your relationship to food. You're also getting to express yourself, maybe talking about some of your challenges. And then number five, no diet rules. From your own head 
or an external diet plan, there should be no rules around food. Now, don't get me wrong. What you need to do is pay attention to your body. It doesn't mean that you should eat a whole bag of of uh, Twix or Oreo cookies. Gosh, I use Oreo cookies all the time. Guess you know what kind of cookies I like. <laughs> but there shouldn't be any diet rules that are not related to what your body is saying. And I want to be careful because I really mean no rules. I think it's more important to pay attention to your body and let your body guide you to what it needs. Now, this one's a little tricky, and this is why I think it's important to work with a registered dietitian nutritionist that is in that anti-diet weight-inclusive space because that's one of the things that we are experts in. We help people interpret what is going on with their body. I'll give you an example. I have a client who is a professional wrestler, and one of the things that he's trying to do is meet his weight, and I'm using air quotes here, and I hate wrestling for this. I really wish that they would just wrestle without this weight class thing. But I get it, you know, because it's maybe an unfair advantage to be wrestling with some, not maybe, it is an unfair advantage to be wrestling with someone who's maybe 20 or 15, 30 pounds heavier than you. There is obviously a competitive advantage there in strength and size. With that said, I do think that it's very dangerous on a person. But one of the things that we recognized was the need for him to eat a little more regularly, especially throughout the day so that he is utilizing the energy from food to also strengthen his ability to improve his performance. Because a lot of times people are using weight and they're not always looking at their performance. They're not eating enough to perform better. And so therefore they're trying to manipulate their body weight instead of trying to eat to improve their performance. I'll give you another example, carbohydrates and runners. Many of you probably have heard of carb loading. Well, it does mean that you actually load the amount of glycogen stored in your muscle, first by depleting it and then by restoring it. So you deplete it by physical activity, and then you store it by eating sufficient amounts. So the percentage of carbohydrates that a person will consume is a lot higher, which then fills up their muscle and therefore builds up that endurance ability. It is a, a minimal amount, but it's enough to be able to win a competition. So that's an example. All right, so again, we've got these five eating practically or when hungry, enjoying food with satisfaction, getting a variety or a diverse types of foods, trying new foods. Number four, eating with others, sharing foods. And number five, no diet rules. Okay, folks. So these are the five ways to build a secure relationship with food. Okay, now it's your turn. Which of these five are you going to start working on first? I certainly don't think you should try all five of them all at once. You might eventually get to some of those, but quite honestly, the important thing is to start with one. Hence the name of this podcast, right? Pick one. Is it eating practically when you're hungry? Is it being satisfied? Is it food diversity? Is it sharing food? Is it no diets? Start working with one and ask yourself, challenge yourself, hmm, 
What are my thoughts around food? What kind of relationship do I have with food? What is it that I am saying? And be, be, be gentle on yourself. Find a little bit of that self-compassion because you may not figure it all out at once. So give yourself some grace. There is going to be the need to experiment here. Experiment, explore, learn, retry, experiment, explore, learn, retry. I think it's very important. But you commit yourself. Commit yourself to not stay in those crazy diet rules or commit yourself to a variety of foods or commit yourself, again, one small thing. And by the way, motivation is not the key here. Just start it. Start with something and be consistent. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Don't wait around for you to hit the epiphany and oh, <laughs> the enlightenment happens Yeah, it might come, but I often find that either it comes in one big wave or it hits you little bits at a time until you go, you know what? Wow, I totally get it now. Okay, now it's your turn. Tell me how it went for you. Tell me what you thought about any of these. And you know what? You can also set up a free 15, 20-minute discovery call and we can help guide you a little bit and maybe set up regular appointments for you if you'd like. Hey, and if you missed anything, no worries. We took all the notes for you. Visit our show notes at orozconutrition.com slash podcast slash EP140. And while you're there, check out some of our free resources on our website. And why the heck am I talking this way? <laughs> anyway. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by my brand new book. I love it. It is titled One Small Bite, Anti-Diet Stories That Will Help You Build a Positive Relationship to Food, just like this episode today. It's available on Amazon and soon it'll be available anywhere you want to buy books. So look for it right now on Amazon. And then if you get a chance, drop me a review on Amazon. Those really help me get the book out to more people. Also, if you get a moment, please leave me a review for this podcast because it really helps me get this podcast out to more people as well. And if you haven't already, click follow or subscribe so you get these episodes downloaded directly to your device. Okay, folks, just want to say thank you to my team, Jennifer Baugh, Reagan Perkins, Ginny Langdon, and thank you to you. I really appreciate you listening today. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Stay tuned because we got some more goodies coming for you next week. We've got one on energy and metabolism that you're not going to want to miss. And I got another few great episodes coming up as well. So remember, for right now, chop that diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Until next time, ciao. Oh, yeah.